they know where the stops are. They they know that you know the futures and options. They can create all kinds of fake supply and fake demand around the underlying, and they can bounce it around. And so, you know, I mean, it's as, as if Bitcoin wasn't volatile enough. You know, add a bunch of leveraged players with big deep pockets, you know, and billions of dollars to throw around, and at, at you know rates of leverage in some cases as high as 100 to one, which is just insane. And you know, wow, you're going to get some real interesting price behavior. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Archetype Wealth Partners or its advisors. The mention of different asset types or securities do not constitute a recommendation for our clients. If you have any questions about the content of this podcast, please contact your advisor. In this episode of Navigating the Noise, I'm joined by Lawrence Lepard, Managing Partner of Equity Management Associates. Larry shares knowledge from his long-tenured investment career that spans venture capital investing during the early 1990s boom, investing in gold during the great financial crisis, and his current experience investing in Bitcoin and Bitcoin companies. During Bitcoin's ascent, it's gained attention as the 21st century's version of digital gold. In our discussion, we unpack how governments and financial players have historically used derivatives, options, and other financial tools to suppress the price of gold and sound money assets like Bitcoin. If you're looking to better understand Bitcoin's past and its future potential as an economic network, then join us and listen in. You know, these last two pumps, because that's really sort of what they act like. um, To me, I've noticed the characteristics of it have changed a lot. Yes. And um, that kind of here recently led me to this gold piece, which led me to your stuff. Um, and I've been following Caitlin for a long time. She's been pushing this harder than anybody for the longest that I've seen. Uh, right. You and some other guys may have been out there as well. The rehypothecation of it is really interesting. Um, you've got all these hardcore Bitcoin maximalists, and really they've spent the last four years figuring out ways to lend and rehypothecate, sort of recreate the system that they say they hate. Well, um, yeah, that's right. I'm not sure all the maximalists are doing that. Some are very opposed to that. I know Caitlin's yep. very opposed to that. She doesn't believe in any yeah. fractional reserve Bitcoin. And she's yeah. been the slowest with Avanti to make sure that, you know, she, right. yeah, no, she, she wants, she wants to be a stable coin that's linked to the Fed that has a dollar on deposit for every single coin she's issued. I mean, she's the anti-tether, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I saw yours and Greg's Foss's thing and, and I've seen yeah. her point to you a couple of times. So I just wanted to talk about that since you have kind of that gold bug background. Yeah. So yeah, I've been, I've been in gold for a long, long time and, uh, and I've watched Bitcoin emerge and I think I, I, you know, I tried to get involved. I was actually in the process of filling out the account form for Mt. Gox when Mt. Gox failed. So Mm -hmm. I have the, I set up a wallet, um, middle of the night, we just had a kid and I was going to dump some money in and, um, and I didn't end up doing it for whatever it reason. Was, yeah, it was tricky. I knew about it before then I was trying to do it, but it was tricky because you had to do a paper wallet and you had to go to a cafe and give some guy some money. It was just, yeah. I mean, I, I, but I know some people who were in really, really early and bought a bunch of coins, at like 10 or 13 bucks a coin. You know, it's just like, yeah. wow. It was at wish? 200 you, when I first like yeah. sat down to do it. Yeah. Don't um, you wish. Right. Yeah. 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 I, my first ones, I bought around 400 and change after the, after the Mt. Gox thing. I, I waited for Coinbase to get established and then I, okay, I got, you know, this is, seems legit. And, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you got the fork wars. There were a lot of things to be, there was a lot of FUD. I mean, I, 
for me fun was I went to an MIT conference and I sat next to a core developer. So what do you worry about? He said, well, whenever I change something, I go home and think maybe I croaked the whole network. You know, <laughs> 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 you know, when you're invested in something, you're like, good God, this guy's a core developer. He's worried about it. Maybe I should be at least a little concerned. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it, it's funny how it's, it's emerged. And I, you know, the way I refer to these, I don't think Bitcoin is, is gold. You know, I don't think gold is Bitcoin's competitor. I, I, I view these both as gold and Bitcoin, both are the two forms of sound money. I mean, gold is analog sound money and Bitcoin is digital sound money. And Bitcoin will win longer term, but, but it's not going to be overnight the way Sailor and others think. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of embedded value in gold. It'll, it'll remain. Um, Bitcoin will steal some of it and his stealing some of it. Obviously, it's performing better. But, um, but the, yeah, there are a lot of parallels in the two. I mean, the, the, the biggest, probably the biggest structural difference between the two markets is that, you know, gold is stored by banks, controlled by banks, owned by central banks. Um, you know, it's opaque. It's hard to move. It's hard to verify. I mean, notice that we haven't audited Fort Knox forever. I mean, Ron Paul told me he doesn't think the gold's there and I have to agree with him. Um, you know, China has a lot more gold than they've been reporting, et cetera, et cetera. Russia's been buying gold like crazy. Um, so, you know, you've got this, this centralized non-confirmed gold balance. In fact, nobody even really knows how much gold there is in the world. We've got reasonable estimates. We don't know. Mm -hmm. And probably a 40% of it is on women's necks or in jewelry and, you know, a lot India. of it's in, Yeah, India. There's a lot in antiquities. You know, they're, I mean, the gold in some of these churches and museums, that's never going to be melted down. So anyway, th th that's the gold market. I mean, the Bitcoin market comes along. You see everything. It's right on the chain. Uh, you know, it's a thing of beauty and everyone thinks, okay, this is great. There, this cannot be subject to manipulation. It won't ever be manipulated. And, and that's true as far as the chain goes. I mean, if, there are no coins that aren't on the chain. They're all there. They can be accounted for. But the negative, uh, apart from that, is that as, as with any place where there's a lot of money, it's a honeypot. And, you know, as you and I were discussing before the show started, the, the, it attracts people who know how to play that game. And, and so the leverage has come in. Yeah. And, um, you know, now we've got all these huge exchanges and we've got all these people. I mean, three or four of these big exchanges, I, I think we were talking about earlier, you know, two of the two of the four that I'm aware of are run by ex uh, derivatives guys from Wall Street. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so and you, you know, and you know, those guys, I mean, they're there to make a market and to scalp, you know, they're, they're there for profit. Right. They're, they're solely for profit and they, you know, they do pump and dumps and they run the stops and they, mm -hmm. you know, they use excessive leverage and they, they try and control the outside narrative. And, you know, to them, it's all just a big casino and a big game and the more players they can suck into it, you know, and I mean, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but, you know, and they see, they see guys saying, oh, Bitcoin hit 69,000, Bitcoin going to 70,000, you know, and they're just sitting there licking their chops because they know mm -hmm. at some point you know, that everyone's using leverage to buy it and, you know, they can come in and swoop in and they've got, you know, right now the derivative book, according to Glassnode is, is $20 billion of futures derivatives. And, you know, Bitcoin is trading about you know, $20 billion a day of value. So, you know, as you and I were discussing, I mean, in this last round, they, they quickly liquidated $3 billion in an hour, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that took the price from 69 into the forties. So, um, you know, these, I mean, they, they know where, the, they know where the stops are. They, they know that, you know, with the futures and options, they can create all kinds of fake supply and fake demand around the underlying and they can bounce it around. And so, you know, I mean, it's as, as if Bitcoin wasn't volatile enough, you know, add a bunch of leveraged players with big, deep pockets, you know, and billions of dollars to throw around and at, at you know, rates of leverage in some cases as high as hundred to one, which is just insane. And, you know, wow, you're going to get some real interesting price behavior.
Well, and that's one of the points I wanted to talk about is that price suppression um, or just kind of knocking the price around with huge levels of derivative on top of it and how you've seen that over your years being a gold bug. I mean, that was the soundest money before Bitcoin. And now we have another version of a soundest money that does a little bit better in terms of or are a lot better in divisibility and portability and those kinds of things. But how are those similarities from what you've seen in the past in that sound money and now in this new digital age, what you're starting to see? Yeah, well, it's it, it, Bitcoin is a different it's a different critter. I mean, it, it um, first of all, the old you know think of the old world as you know gold in the old world and the banks and the, the sound you know that that whole issue. And this is a new world where it's all there is no bank, there's no central bank, there's just a, a chain, you know, enforced by a bunch of servers. Um, and you know, in in the in the case of gold, let's just talk about that for a moment. I mean, the leverage in the gold market is absolutely insane. I mean, there are, we believe and we've seen, we've, you know, those of us who've been following it for years and years know that there are probably a thousand claims on every ounce of physical gold in the world. I mean, so one ounce of gold might have, you know, and what it's what we call paper gold. And it's why we all joke around about how at some point somebody's going to stop the music and everyone's going to look for a chair and 999 people aren't going to have a chair. And the guy who owns the one ounce is going to have the chair. And so, um, you know, the, the, the futures market in the gold space and the, you know, and the paper gold space has gotten so big as to be absurd. And, and although there is a futures market developing in Bitcoin, it's a fraction of the size. I mean, it's not as though, I mean, for, for the futures market in Bitcoin to look like the futures market in gold, you'd have to have, I mean, if, if the Bitcoin you know, market value is, say, a billion dollars today of all Bitcoin, you'd have to have $100 trillion of futures, right? Because mm-hmm. um, that's kind of what the gold market looks like, right? And you don't. You have, you know, you have like $20 billion of futures right now you know, in, in, in the Bitcoin market. And right now what you have are $20 billion, which is really just about one day's trading volume. So, mm-hmm. so while there are some things in the Bitcoin market that are developing to make it look similar to the gold market, it's way earlier, way smaller. And I think the people who are doing it are probably aware that they're way more vulnerable than the people who are doing all this future stuff in the gold space. The, remember in the gold space that, you know, it's run by governments and central banks and they control the rules, they control the narrative and they can change the rules. And so, you know, notice what they did to the Hunt brothers in the 80s, right? I mean, the Hunts realized that the whole thing was a scam. They decided to try and break it. They did, and when they got to you know fifty dollars an ounce, the, the the exchange literally changed the rules and said it's liquidation only. You know we're, we just you know sorry guys, we just changed the rules on you. You're screwed, and they bankrupted the hunts as a result of it. Mm-hmm. And so you know kind of the way every president behaves in a certain way today because they saw how Kennedy was killed. I mean everybody you know who wants to try everyone says well let's go squeeze the paper gold market or go squeeze the paper silver market is very aware of the Hunt Brothers example, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, however, you know, if you go over into the Bitcoin space, you know, it's, it's different in one important respect, and that is there's no central bank behind the whole thing, and there's no changing of the rules without consensus of a majority of the players. So it's going to be brutally ruthless at wrecking anybody who gets too leveraged. And as Caitlin says, and I've talked to her about it, she said, you know, look, she, she's of the opinion, she won't say this loudly and publicly because I don't think it serves her interest, but there are those that, let's, I should say, we all see there's a possibility that a GSIP will eventually fail, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. um, and the reason is if they treat this like any other commodity and they get too far out over their skis, you know, then, and, and there's a, you know, there's a short squeeze. I mean, you could see, you know, I mean, Bitcoin could go to, I mean, what, what if Bitcoin went to no offer or what if Bitcoin went to a million dollars instantly, you know, because some big institution was failing and they couldn't get, they couldn't meet their obligations. I mean, and you would see, you know, you would see bankruptcies and there's no one there to bail those bankruptcies right. out. And so, that, that's one thing that, is the unintended consequences of having, and I'm going to use the word illiquid asset with Bitcoin, because there's only 21 million. So relative to other things, it's illiquid. Right. Um, and, and so that's the unintended consequence of having all these systems and this lending and reapplication. And now you've got BITO and you've got GBTC, which yes, they have, they have spot held in the fund, but then the fund trades in a market that is disconnected from it. So you get, you're starting to get all these layers where you get this unintended consequence built into it. Um, I think that's right. And I think that those who don't understand the nature of who holds those coins just have no sense of how big a short squeeze could occur here mm -hmm. and of how being short Bitcoin is, 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 could just wreck somebody, literally wreck somebody. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, you know, it, it, given the nature of, of this, it wouldn't surprise me to see that at some point we'll have that kind of a squeeze and it will wreck some, you know, some big institutions, some big funds, some big whatever. I mean, I, you know, the, the recent talk and Greg Foss has brought this up has been that, you know, maybe people are doing some kind of a pair trade with the triple Q's and Bitcoin. They're thinking they're both kind of risk on assets, you know? Mm -hmm. So it is I, interesting how it's turned into, um, much more of a risk asset. Right. gone uh in the last two years i mean the core the non-correlation piece was really it seemed more like kind of a pre-2017 thing when it yes. was small yes. and then then once you started to see banks and wall street traders and traditional market people nav navigate in you saw that psychological change in the charts yes exactly. and you saw it much more become a risk asset absolutely um, and that's you know, you why saw it in 2020, March, 2020, it was a total risk. We're at 50% in one day. Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, it's, um, it's interesting. And I think the people in the world aren't fully aware of how much volatility there is and could be, and, and perhaps will be on a go forward basis. And so, you know, I think it's absolutely critical that everybody's in that's in this asset long or short well i can't imagine being short but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but i mean but but honestly there must be people who are short because these futures contracts i mean there's two sides to those things right and mm -hmm. you know what are those people what what's going to happen to those entities who are paper short this stuff when it goes to three hundred thousand dollars in two days i, I mean, feel I, for I, anyone i can, that... I can tell you what's going to happen they're going to blow up you know yeah. i feel yeah. for anybody that's paper short i i'm hoping most of them have a spot position and they're just kind of creating a covered call carry trade. Maybe, I, but I, but I kind of doubt it. You yeah. know, if you know, if you know the nature, if you know, human nature, and oh, how yeah. people, yeah, right. I kind of doubt it. Right. Well, that was a little bit, um, it was a little bit frustrating to me in the, in the first move into 60, you had all the, the hype podcasts and everybody's talking about, Oh, you just get free 40%. It's, it's risk-free 40% per year. You yeah. know, if you do the futures trade and I was like, nothing's free. Like if, no. you know, it's not abnormal to see this in traditional markets. Just everybody knows that at some point that 40% is going to evaporate and you're going to be left with a down 60. Yes, that's exactly right. No, that's exactly right. And, and so it, it's only free for that short period and it's not repeatable. 
That's Greg, correct. Greg and I had talked about that. Cool, you can do it for a month, you can do it for three months, but you can't Absolutely. do it for 12. Well, it's, you know, it's the old phrase, you're picking up nickels in front of a steamroller. I mean, you might, mm -hmm. it might look like you're making money easily and it's, it's all great, but it's not a continuing, it's not mm -hmm. a continuing event. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's interesting. It's interesting to watch it all develop. And I think that, you know, for the retail and the average Bitcoin investor, what it means is you have to steal, one has to steal oneself against whatever could happen. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I mean, it's, you know, people don't want to hear me say it, but I mean, I, you know, look, Bitcoin has had 80% drawdowns, you know, and so, um, and, and could, again, I think the volatility is slowly decreasing over time, although the leverage is in a way help, help keep the volatility alive. But, you know, if it's had 80% drawdowns and the high was 70, you know, right. that would imply that 20% of 70 is, you know, 14. I mean, we could see 14 again, heaven forbid. I don't think we will, but, 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 but my point is that, you know, anyone who, anyone who's in it has to, has to fully understand the trading history of it and, and right. be prepared. I mean, you know, look, at, I'm sitting here with capital and gold that I know, you know, if I see something in the 30s or 20s, I mean, I'm going to be all over it, you know, converting from gold into Bitcoin. Right. But, um, you know, and I know, but I know that other people think, well, hell, it'll never go back down there again. Well, I, it's possible. I don't know. I have no yeah. idea. It's, it really well, trades, I, like a, it trades like a wild animal is the problem. <laughs> I use, know? just in the charts I look at, I use volatility bands um, because they're pretty accurate over longer period of times. And, then, you know, you say 15, well, the outer band on a monthly basis is down there at eight and 15. Is it really? And in wow. in 2017, 18, the dead top, and I sold everything. And then three days later, FOMO'd in over Christmas break back. But um, same thing, it, it, it showed 2,800. Now, yeah. it, and then we were at 19, 20,000. It took two years to get there, but March, yep. 2020, we basically hit it. You know, we got 3,000. Um, yeah. So it, it is crazy. And that, that's one of my points from the thing I posted with the goal, looking at gold compared to Bitcoin is maybe a month ago um, and seeing gold have those big run-ups, you know, obviously right. the prices. And then once they start printing, the gold sells off. And, you know, in the eighties, it was 27 years before it ever hit another high. And it was right. whatever it was, 2007, uh, that, that price actually traded above where it did in 81. So I think the big question I have, do, in your opinion, what you've seen with all the leverage and the futures and all that stuff be built out on gold, should um, investors in Bitcoin have that understanding that it could take that long and it could be drawn down if prices suppress with these tools? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, the, the, the real apples and oranges, the, the 1980 to you know, 2000 bear market in gold um, you know, there were a lot of things going on in there. I mean, one, first of all, in 1980, you know, you, you almost had full coverage. If, if you assume that the U.S. had the gold that we say we have, you almost, the dollar was almost gold back. I mean, we didn't have a gold standard, but you effectively did have a gold right. standard. Okay. And then, you know, Volcker's moves of pushing interest rates up, you created a deflationary environment, which was really good for equities and credit. And so you had a lot of equity credit and GDP growth during that whole period. And, you know, gold's not an investment that necessarily is good all of the time. I mean, mm -hmm. in, a, in a positive credit cycle where the money is is not being massively debased, you know, equities and even to a degree bonds will outperform gold as they did, especially when you're starting from a high interest rate like you were in 1980. I mean, gold was a 
the investment from 80 to 2000, you know, mm -hmm. period full stop. Now in 2000 or 1998, when long-term credit management blew up, um, you know, they started printing money again, pretty obviously, and we could see it. And, um, and there'd been a lot of monetary growth in that time frame that gold had not reflected just because of all the other trends going on. Um, so let's, let's map that to today's Bitcoin market. Um, you know, could Bitcoin be down for a bit here for a few years? You know, very possibly. Um, but I, you know, a 20 year bear market in Bitcoin, no way. I mean, that's, that's mm -hmm. not going to happen because the, the monetary backdrop, in my opinion, because the monetary backdrop is very different. You've got governments printing in, in, a, in, a, in an uncontrolled manner and almost mathematically being required to continue printing. I mean, certainly at different rates. And, you know, right now things have backed off both for gold and Bitcoin for the last, you know, 15 months or so. You know, kind of the gold was at a fever pitch in August of 2020. And then mm -hmm. Bitcoin kind of followed soon thereafter, um, you know, and, but they both backed off because, you know, the powers that be, the authorities are, are, are faking or saying that they're going to be able to, you know, contain monetary growth. And, that you know, they're, they're trying to talk about spending less. They're talk, talking about, you know, printing less. They're talking about raising interest rates, all of which I think will create another thing that they're not anticipating, which is a severe slowdown in the economy and a, and a collapse in the equity markets. And, They'll be back to their old ways of printing, you know, sometime not too far out. So, and, and then of course we'll catch the next leg up in our stuff. And I, I consider these two to be very closely related. So, um, you know, I, I don't see any prolonged problem with either of the two assets. But for those who think it's going to happen tomorrow, I say, well, you better adjust your time frame. I mean, this is a, you know, I've, I've been at this. I got into the gold trade probably around 2000. I, I went all in on the gold trade at the, you know, GFC. Right. I mean, I was like, I saw yep. what they did and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. I mean, they can create that much money that irresponsibly that quickly. You know, I had savings. I was kind of in a semi-retired state. And I, I got to get back to work again because, you know, what, I, what I've got, you know, I'm going to have hundred dollar gasoline here. I'm not going to have any money to buy stuff with. So, <laughs> you know, and, and so, so, you know, we kind of know where this is going, which is a continual depreciation of fiat vis-a-vis -vis sound money assets, these other two assets. But Having said that, you know, like any market, it's a zigzag, right? I mean, we had yeah. a good run here. They're trying to back off. I mean, they're not stupid. They know that their system's at risk, you know. Well, but, and, and nothing can just go straight up. Gravity right. takes hold. Uh, well, that's right. That's right. But but having said that, I'm absolutely, completely convinced we are on the right side of this trade. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's, you know, and so how does the trade play itself out? You know, how quickly? I mean, people ask me all the time, when's fiat going to fail? I, I, I don't know. Now, are we going to have hyperinflation? I don't know. It's certainly a possibility. I, I would think that within five years, the problems are pretty friggin' acute. You know, and I, mean, I think that the people get caught up in the fiat failing, and and we've all been there to an extent. And it should, it probably should. But the fact of the matter is, um, it doesn't store value very well. But in terms of medium of exchange, it works better than anything because oh, absolutely. It is, it's accepted yeah, I mean, every, I mean, you can go anywhere in the world yeah, and hand somebody a dollar in, even though we all know it's basically worthless, they'll take it. Well, and, that's right. Yeah, no, it, and it, 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 you know, the Lindy effect on the dollar is enormous. I mean, everybody knows what it is. Everybody has one. I mean, we operate on a dollar based system. Mm -hmm. I mean, even Michael Saylor is kind of pro dollar because he knows we need it to keep things running. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my view is the dollar is at great risk. All, all fiat currencies are at great risk, but you right. know, we're, we're in a transition period. And, 
you know, it's, it's a part of this fourth turning that, you know, we've all discussed so much and mm-hmm. you know, what is money is getting redefined. And, you know, I think in 20 years, I, mean, I think our grandkids are going to read the books and they say, you know, what were these guys thinking, thinking that they could have the government's control the money supply. What a stupid idea right. that was. <laughs> right. Right. You know, they must've been out of their frigging minds. Everyone could see that that was never going to work. I mean, MMT, you know, I mean, these MMT people who think that they can control inflation with taxes. I mean, give me a break. When has government ever done anything right? Well, and that's the thing. It's just, you wonder how many people read anything about history. And I didn't really start till the last couple of years. I mean, I started down this road maybe in 2010, uh, the whole, what is money? And and it just kind of took 10 years of off and on, but the MMT piece, you look at any civilization that has just printed, printed, printed it, never works. It doesn't work. I mean, you know, a five-year-old understands it doesn't work, but it, but it does, it appears to work because for 40 years we've had deflation. Uh It's, it's the typical, you know, it's a very human thing to kind of assume that what is, what has happened in the past is what will happen in the future. And it's, you know, by and large, that's a pretty, that's a pretty adaptive thought pattern, you know, and you stay with the herd and you don't want to be out there, you know, the lone wolf gold bug, you know, because you're going to get picked off. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of us have had that experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you that. Cause I had sent over, um, I just went back and looked just as part of thinking yeah. about this and, and how the, the dynamics change a little bit when you have all the leverage and, and, and yeah. all this coming in on price. And I looked at, okay, well, what if I went and bought gold when the S and P started, which was 1923. Yeah. Those are good numbers you did. Yeah. Yeah. Then they, and I just did basic. What would, if I put $10,000 in each in 1923 and just let it ride, what would my return be in gold? I can't remember. It was seven or 800% and and stocks was 52,000%. And then In 26, they added some companies and then it wasn't really official S&P until 1957 mm. when they had 500 companies. And then it technically, you couldn't just buy it outright until mm. they released the ETF, which was, uh, I think it was 92 or three. So you're looking there and we, and we talk about wealth in our business, right? And, and for sound money people, wealth is just knowing that, hey, when I put this money in gold or in Bitcoin and I come back, four, five, 10 years later, it's going to be worth more then than it is today. And dollars are worth more today than they will be tomorrow or any point in the future. Uh, So dollars don't store wealth, gold, Bitcoin does. But interestingly, and and I want your opinion here, the increase in equities created this quote unquote wealth. But really it's also the inverse of, of what's happening to your purchasing power. Well, that's right. I mean, yeah, the, the, you know, the, the Venezuelan stock market was an enormously successful stock market while the, while mm-hmm. the you know, the currency was becoming worth, worth less, but um, look, I mean, Buffett's right. I mean, gold is, gold is an asset that doesn't, it's a goose that doesn't lay eggs I mean, it just sits there. It's inert, you know, and equities and businesses which produce value and grow and have a return on invested capital you know, that, that creates wealth. And so it's no surprise that over long, long periods of time, the stock market would crush the gold market. Mm-hmm. Having said that though, there were in, within that period, there were certain times yep. at which the stocks got way ahead of themselves and the gold got way undervalued. And, you know, and, and I think we're in one of those times right now. I mean, I think that's the important thing to understand. I mean, let me give you a number that I think your, your listeners will find interesting. If we went back and we reset the system today on the gold standard that we had in 1971 or 1980, because we were effectively on it, then gold would need to be $32,000 an ounce right now to cover all the paper that's out there with the amount of gold that's really out there. 
So and gold's at eighteen hundred. So it, it kind of gives you it kind of, and so people say, well, gold has this enormous monetary premium. Well, yeah, it costs more. I mean, the mining average mining cost now is about eleven hundred dollars to pull an ounce out of the ground. So mm -hmm. eighteen hundred dollars, you've got you know seven hundred dollars of profit for the miner, and that's a premium in the sense that you know it's just a piece of jewelry. But you know, if it really if it really were the alternative to the dollar, or we were to try to go back and make it an anchor to the dollar to make all those dollars, quote unquote, money good, you know, gold would need to be priced at 32,000. Everyone says, well, there's not, a, there's not enough gold in the world to have a gold standard. Bull there's enough gold in the world for whatever. It's a fixed amount that grows 1.7% a year. But the issue is at what price? Are you, what yeah. price are you going to pay in dollar terms for each ounce? Right. And, and that's a great number. I think that's really the point is if you just let the market take care of itself, giving right. what happens to the paper side of money, yeah. Gold effectively would have been Bitcoin had it been, right. not been suppressed, right? That's so, exactly right. Yeah, I mean, there's a long story of this, and I've, I've dug into all this. And so, I mean, it's a big rabbit hole that would take hours to go down. But, you know, the, Barsky and Summers wrote, you know, Larry Summers, they wrote a paper called Gibson's Paradox, which is fun to read in Google. And it, basically what they discovered is keeping the dollar sound was a function. Well, one, it's a petrodollar, a function of oil price. But two, it's a function of the gold price. And the gold price is the monetary fire alarm, right? I mean... They saw it in mm -hmm. the 70s, right? And I find it fascinating that Volcker in his, in his um, memoirs talked about before he died, wrote about how, you know, one of the mistakes they made in the 70s was we didn't keep the gold price under control. Right. You know, right. Oh, interesting. Right. And so, so, but they figured out how to fix that mistake. Right. And uh, as a result of that, um, you know, uh, Robert Rubin got involved and, and Clinton was there and Carville said, you know, mean to tell me that we're going to be, you know, I want to come back to the bond market because it's the most powerful thing in the world. And, you know, Ruben said, don't worry about that. We got that figured out. You know, we're going to just suppress the gold price. So the, the inflation we get from printing this money won't be reflected. Yeah. And, and that, that's right. one of the, the points looking at, you know, gold versus stocks. And, and now we have Bitcoin, so we can look at all three is, is kind of having your asset allocation. Because if you go all into one of them, at some point you're either going to be wrong or it's going to be painful and you just won't be able to emotionally stay in. And, and so what I'm wondering here is, is, okay. So you were early VC days, kind of early nineties, the first go of the internet. Yep. Then you, then you've got the gold bug component and yep. that, that for a while. Now you've yep. been in the Bitcoin space for a number of years. Yep. So if we say that Bitcoin is the digital gold, Yep, it is. What is our digital version of equities? Is that <laughs> the crypto web three side? And, and yeah. if the rails are be, being rewritten, do we just kind of see the story repeat? Maybe. Yeah. That, um, so I'm not very up to speed on web three. Um, mm -hmm. it, it sounds like a lot of arm waving and sounds kind of mm -hmm. like NFTs to me, but, um, but I don't know, maybe, maybe I just don't understand it. So I have to claim some ignorance on, on web three, but and I'm not sure there is, I mean, digital, you know, equities kind of are a digital thing in the sense that they're traded digitally. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously they represent claim on businesses. So I, I, I'm not, I'm probably not the best person to answer that question because I'm really mm -hmm. not that aware of what this web three is. So, mm -hmm. um, and it's more just the tech and where you see companies and stuff being built out on it. I mean, the, the real reason to be in the space is Bitcoin sound money. Yes, but as we talked about, if you just went sound money from the twenties to now, right? No, no, no. I, the, I agree. The worldly yeah, well, wealth would be. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, I think. Well, look, um, 
you know, there will be a lot of businesses that are influenced and impacted one way or another by the sound money development. So, I mean, that's just simple stuff, right? I mean, you know, Western Union, you know, ought to be toast, right? I mean, the whole, mm -hmm. the whole notion that people are paying 7% or in some cases 40%, you know, to move money around the world through their network when you can do it with, you know, with Bitcoin. I mean, that's, that's absurd. Um, you know, arguably when the Lightning Network comes fully on speed, you know, MasterCard and Visa, I mean, they're taking 3%. And Jack Mollis is talking about 30 bips, right? So, you know, there will be there will be ways to invest in companies that are taking advantage of the sound money trend. And, and my fund has actually done that. Well, Caitlin's an example. She's building a bank built on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yes, you can just make the sound money bet, you know, gold, Bitcoin, whatever, but you can you can also look at how it impacts companies. And there will be companies that'll be big winners you know, those who are enabling this new form of sound money. And there'll be companies that are big losers, you know, those who are entrenched in the old business model and cannot change. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know what you do if you're Western Union. I mean, yeah, I, right. right. I mean, I, you know, and I'm not quite sure what you do if you're, you know, if you're MasterCard. I mean, I think ultimately, you know, all these guys are going to get disintermediated and even the banks. I mean, it's, you know, um, you know, we could have peer-to-peer -peer lending and a lot of other things. I mean, look, there's, you know, the, the, the 20th century was the century of centralization. We figured out how to, you know, put together things at scale, you know, to make big entities, you know, and, and World War II was kind of the culmination. Now we can really kill people at scale and, you know, let's go kill 50 million people. And, you know, I think the trend now is, you know, okay, that's great. We've got about as much economy of scale as we can out of this stuff. It's not serving us anymore. And in fact, because the people at the top of each of these organizations is running them in the wrong direction, you know, let's descale, let's decentralize. Let's have lots of players and let them all vote with their feet, which is what Bitcoin is, right? I mean, you got all these nodes, you got, you know, no one's making the rules. It's just math is making the rules and, and all the players vote, but all the players have incentive to keep the system going in the way it's going. And so my view is that the, the, the good bet going forward is to be to bet on businesses that will benefit from decentralization, you know, and, and, to, and to short or be wary of large businesses that are getting economic rent out of the fact that they've got centralization and a lot of power because I think mm -hmm. it's going to get chipped away at. So, and, I, and I think that's one of the best things that your background across the spectrum gives you. Right. Uh, because you've seen making bets in early tech right? and how, how long that takes to play out the ups yeah. and downs and, and the things that you thought were sure bet don't make it some competitor that absolutely, we, you know, yeah, I mean, having said that, I mean, you know, I, just, I I want to contradict what I just said. I mean, one of the things I learned in the last 10 years, that it's amazing to me, and I, you know, it pisses me off that I didn't do it. So in 2009, you know, I, I moved into the gold space, and I, I gave up focusing on equities. And I really missed Amazon, Facebook, Netflix, you know, all these network-based businesses. I just mm -hmm. missed them. And the reason I, I didn't miss them entirely, I knew they were there. I looked at them. I looked at the math on them and I said, God, they're too expensive. Right. I can't, you know, I can't buy it because it's too friggin' expensive using traditional metrics. And what, where I was wrong was that, you know, what I didn't understand was, was, you know, Metcalf's law, the, the, the way value accrues in a network organization or, or Google as an example, because, you know, when, when you've got a network that sucks people into the network and you're forced to either play in it or be left behind, it just accrues value incredibly. And it's so interesting to me that all of those businesses have increased in value since 09. They've all increased at about 200% a year compounded. Wow. You know, which very interestingly is about the same math as Bitcoin. Yeah. Yep. And so, 
So, you know, here's, here's something I missed, but I'm tr gonna try not to miss on the next go round. And that is, you know, when you see a network business that's sucking everything into it, get in there. Yeah. You know, even if it feels expensive, like I have a lot of friends who I've, I've now convinced them on the value prop of Bitcoin, okay? And they come and they say, Larry, how am I gonna pay 60,000 or something? You were buying it. 400 and 5,000 and 10,000. And I'm like, I'm like, you got to get over that. You're looking yeah. in the rearview mirror. You got to get over the notion that it used to be cheap and now it's expensive. I mean, you're going to have the same conversation with me in 10 years and it's going to be 600,000. And you're going to say, why didn't I buy it at 60? You know, or just like, you know, you could have bought Google at 90 right. a Dutch auction and today it's three, 4,000. You know, it, you can't worry about as much the price when you get in but what's the value of their network well, yeah i mean it, it, but you know to be to be totally fair i mean you know i mean yahoo had a search engine too i mean you, you got yep. you got to make sure you got the one that's really emerging and got enough scale in fact in my earlier days in bitcoin that was one of the things i was concerned about i mean especially when we're going through the fork wars and everything else was is this really the one Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Is it? Yep. And and now and I you know still I'm sure we all get this. They say, well, yeah, but this is just, you know, I mean, um, this is MySpace and Facebook's going to come along and replace Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. Well, okay. I mean, I hear that argument, right? But but yes, but but there there became a point at which, um, you know, had had MySpace made it and gotten more viral and gotten bigger and gotten more users, they're, 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 you can't catch up. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to replace Google right now. I don't think anybody's going to replace Netflix right now. I don't think anybody's going to replace Facebook right now. I don't think anybody's going to replace Bitcoin right now. It's just, you're too far gone. I mean, you got hundreds of millions of users and, you know, it's rolling now. So, well, it's um, Peter Thiel when you have that zero to one technology that, right. that only comes along once a generation, once a decade, once right. every couple of decades. Right. And, you know, then everybody says, well, we're the Bitcoin of whatever. You know, or we're the right. Facebook of whatever. And right. it, you don't chase those companies. You buy that one and then figure out how the world changed because of that. And I then also right. invest in those other components that tie I, back to it. I think that's exactly right. That's, you, I think you've, you've, you've got that, that, that describes it very well, the way I want to approach it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, and you, and you always want to be looking out for new ones. I mean, because there will be new ones. I mean, there's, mm -hmm. Um, there's something that's probably very small, very unnoticed right now. It's got a lot of real serious advantages. And as people come to understand them, it'll just catch on. Yeah. And um, that's where I was kind of going with, if we are looking at a new set of financial rails and Bitcoin is the base unit, then even though it may not, you know, be fun for the maximalist to say, well, Bitcoin is the only thing that I, that's just the sound money component. That's but right. We know from the last couple hundred years other things will be tied on top of that sound money to generate Absolute. worldly wealth. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, you know, um, yes, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, there will be enterprises built that add value that grow even more rapidly than Bitcoin. And especially, you know, if you consider like, like, you know, I'm an investor in a, in a venture capital fund called 1031 and they're investors in strike as mm -hmm. an example. And I can't guarantee that strike is going to make it, but, it sure feels, yeah, right. It sure feels to me like this lightning network layered on top of Bitcoin, you know, basically just show a QR code and, and buy coffee for pennies. I mean, it feels to me like that's going to change the world. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and there are all kinds of implications, you know, around that. And so, uh, yeah, the, the companies will grow and add more value than the underlying coin. And of course, they'll, 
it'll be complementary. I mean, under, you know, like I'm involved in some of the Bitcoin miners and, you know, they've got good economics now at today's Bitcoin price. Well, imagine what happens when the price is two or 300,000 a coin. Yeah. You know, I mean, the economics are going to be insane. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, I think if you get an, into businesses that are around an underlying great trend, you know, yes, they're going to do extremely well. I mean, uh, you know, witness what happened with um, all the internet businesses. So, well, and that's but, but a, not all of them. I mean, there's some that fit. There are some that fail. That's the thing. To oh, keep totally. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And, and, but you've seen that you saw web one, yep. the early days of the nineties, yep. then web two sounds like you kind of didn't participate in. No. And then, I, yeah, I'm, yeah. And web three, I mean, Bitcoin started it, but web three is basically morphed off these newer networks. Um, they're that's bringing right. something to different to the table. So it sounds yeah, I like think that's right. I mean, I think, I think the problem though, with web three, and I think things that people have to be careful about, we have talked, we haven't touched on this and it, it's a negative for the whole Bitcoin space. I, I, I sense you're a maximalist. It's just the, you know, the, I mean, it, it look in web one, you know, there was pets.com and there were, I mean, there were all yeah. these, there were all these crazy ideas that mm -hmm. did not work. Right. And, and I, you know what, you know what the comparable to that is today is some of the Bitcoins. Yes. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're just they're just a lot of crazy ideas that just are not going to work. There is no there there. There is no value there. And so, well, you know, people need to be careful. Right. Yeah. And I mean, if you go back and you look and I know it's probably ingrained in your brain, but 100, you know, whatever years of stock markets, 130 years yeah. back to 1900s. Yeah. And you look at the four <clears throat> major periods leading into that crisis, there was a lot of technology. Yeah. But nobody had figured out how to monetize it right. to create revenues off of it. So then right. on average, we spend 13 years. Depression was terrible. It took right. 20 something, 30 years to get out. Right. We spend 13 years kind of bouncing around. Right. By the time we run that next wave of innovation where we get 17 to 20 year bull market, the technologies that are being monetized are those ones from the prior peak. That's right. And and, yeah, you know, that's right. I mean, you know, look, in 1922 or three, we had 100 automobile companies, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and then we went over the cliff on the depression and, you know, the, uh, we became five, right? And, but, and it's not as if the auto business got bad. I mean, the auto business was cooking. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it took World War II to get everything restarted again. But I mean, I grew up in the, outside Detroit in the 50s and 60s. I mean, that was like being in Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we were putting the entire country on wheels. You know, everyone went from having one car, maybe in a family to having, you know, three cars in the family and, you know, the quality of the cars went up and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. I mean, in, in 2000, yeah. pets.com and all that really led kind of Amazon and all the 2010, right. you know, Instacart, exactly right. which is I mean, web van. It's exactly right. I mean, it's, and it goes back to the, you know, just kind of, you got to try and look for the signal and all the noise. I mean, there's in, in, in each of these new creative areas, there's a lot of noise. You know, mm -hmm. and a lot of people jumping in, trying to do all kinds of things. And, and hey, that's the way it should be, you know, mm -hmm. and the best ideas will win. But it, it you know, it's, it's tricky. And I, I would suggest to people that you don't, I mean, as, when I was a venture capitalist, what I learned is you don't really get paid for taking the, you know, maybe if this worked this way and I put the money in this way and I did, you know, you, you, you don't get paid for making a lot of assumptions, hope, knowing that if they all go right, you'll make a ton of money because, more often than you would think, they don't all go right. And what you do get paid for is something that's going right. Even if it's small, you can see evidence of it going right. And I, we used to joke about it. We called it, are the dogs eating the food? So, you know, in other words, 
you created something, you got something going. And I mean, there was nothing that got us more excited when I was in the venture capital business than year on year revenue growth. Because mm-hmm. if, you know, I mean, if, some, if someone was growing in revenue at 10% a year, I was like, well, you know, what the hell? I mean, it's, who cares? But when you saw something that was doubling, tripling, quadrupling, not based on any kind of a promotion, but based on legitimate demand, that was real signal. I mean, that told you, oh my God, this is a real business that's could, it could get a lot larger. You know, it, so, that's yeah. interesting because that's where probably my thoughts have changed the most over the last handful of years is yeah. that if everybody's running around, you know, well, the dollar isn't backed by anything. Okay. Right. Gold right. is gold, it's the only monetary unit to last throughout humankind. So right. okay, cool. Bitcoin kind of achieves that digitally. Got it. Yep. Yep. All makes sense. Allocations. I got to use dollars to go to Walmart. I've got to have gold to store my value, Bitcoin mm-hmm. to store value. But when you look at equities and, and whatever comes in this next wave, mm-hmm. what backs equities is revenue. And, right. and if you pay, you what you want to pay for is wallet share. Yes. And where people tell you their household is spending money, that backs that growth that you just talk to very very wisely said and i've always we always used to focus on multiples of revenue and mm-hmm. revenue trends because mm-hmm. you can't i mean it's the one accounting thing you can't fake very easily not at all right, right? i mean earnings god you know we all seen it enron i mean it's just there are a million ways to play with earnings mm-hmm. but but you can't if, if dogs are eating the food and the revenues are growing substantially and then you're buying at a revenue multiple that's a reasonable multiple and that's an important part too I mean, that's, you know, my fund is called the GARP fund. It's called growth at a reasonable price. I mean, when I was in the venture capital business, you know, I mean, this is so, it sounds so ancient, but I mean, we were buying private companies back in the eighties in computer area that were trading, you know, at, at eight times trailing earnings, private, eight times trailing earnings and one and a half times revenue. I mean, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, you knew, and they were growing 30% a year. You just wait. You just wait and you were going to make money. I mean, hell, I bought Microsoft in my PA back in, you know, uh, 1986 or something. And it was trading at 14 times and it was, it was growing 35% a year. And it was the leading software system for PCs. And I'll never forget it because my boss at the time was kind of like, well, PCs, I mean, what can we do with these things? I mean, they're kind of a joke, <laughs> you know, they're, I mean, they're good for word processing. And yeah, I suppose that spreadsheet has some value. But other than that, what's the point? And I was kind of like, dude. I mean, I don't know, but I, I get the sense these things are going to get a lot more powerful, you know? So, yeah. I mean, it, it's, and that's, that's kind of what you, you know, that's what everybody who's investing in these areas is looking at is you, you kind of, you got to imagine a couple of moves out. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, you know, I bought Microsoft. I mean, there were 20 other software companies out there that didn't make it, you yeah. know? And I mean, I, and the reason that you could see that that one was worth buying was one, it had the revenue growth and two, it had a very sound position as being the underlying software code system. You know, DOS was the underlying system for the IBM PC, which was the most widely adopted standard at the time. Apple was doing fine, but not as well as they've done now. And so, you know, so you could see that. And so it's important not to just dive into a category willy nilly. You know, you got to pick and choose your shots. But if you do, I mean, I have to say I'm embarrassed. I actually, I think I got a good, pretty good profit on that Microsoft. And I, I don't know, I needed the money to buy a condo or something and I sold it. <laughs> and that was a huge mistake, right? Yeah. I mean, it went on to be a multi, multi, multi bagger. And I probably had a two bagger, three bagger and I sold it to buy a condo. But, you know, it's. Well, but, um, you know, we, we did a lot with individuals. And at that point, that condo 
had more value to you than well, the I, Microsoft yeah, stock. I, didn't, I yeah. didn't have any other way to make the down payment. <laughs> right. And right. so there's some trade-off that, that we all say woulda, shoulda, coulda on these trades. But right. if we're just sitting with a big bag of capital and not really enjoying life or buying well, that's things. Right. That's right. That's so right. So there's some, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, you got you got to live. Yeah, you got to yeah. live. Um, I pro- yeah, I, but I probably should have tried really hard to find some other source for <laughs> down payment. <laughs> Took if out I a loan. If I'd known what was going to happen to Microsoft, I wouldn't have sold it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, um, what so what are you guys doing today, um, you know, at Equity Management Associates? What's kind of so, your track as, the, as you kind of go down the backside of your career when yeah when... well so um i think i think we're in a time where the most easiest macro bet is the sound money macro bet as defined in gold and, and bitcoin um i've got a legacy gold uh stock mining gold mining stock business i've been picking these things since 08 and they're still silly cheap and i feel like we're in a bear a bull market for gold and we're in a bull market for gold stocks and they have not blown off the way that most bull markets end. Um, I, at some point, they probably will. Um, and so, uh, you know, 80% of the fund is still in gold and silver and gold and silver mining stocks. I mean, I've got things trading at three times cash flow where cash flow is growing. Uh-huh. So, you know, and, and, and that's all because everyone's chasing shiny technology stuff and breaking rocks isn't very exciting. But, you know, buying something at a 33% cash flow yield is, you know, that, that works economically. So, so I'm going to stay there until we get paid for that. Um, you know, over time, I may migrate away from that. And, and we've built a business in the Bitcoin and the Bitcoin infrastructure side. And that's about 20% of the capital we've got today. Um, but I suspect it'll become larger, maybe partly because I'll change some of the allocation away from the gold stocks into the Bitcoin, but also just because the Bitcoin stuff will grow in value, mm-hmm. perhaps even faster than the gold stuff. And so over on the Bitcoin side, we've got an investment in Caitlin and Devante. We've got investments in a couple of private miners. Uh, we've got investments in a couple of the public miners. Um, we've got investment in a venture capital fund that invests in Strike. So we've got a meaningful position in Strike, which I love. Um, you know, I think Jack Mollers is really going to change the world. He's phenomenal. Isn't he? I mean, yeah. <laughs> that speech at the Miami conference was really something. I was there for that. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, um, I'm, I'm transitioning, I would say, over time. Uh, we'll probably have more venture capitally Bitcoin things in as we see, you know, when we can find real signal. Um, mm-hmm. but, but meanwhile, you know, the, um, the precious metals miners, I think, will, are easily set to multiply in value here for several years. Um, and then we've actually just got, we own outright just Bitcoins. I mean, we think the coin will continue to appreciate. You know, I mean, there's, it's probably... I mean, in terms of um, asymmetric bets, I haven't in my career, I don't think I've seen something this asymmetric. And the thing I like about it is it's not only asymmetric, but it doesn't have a management team. I mean, I've been a venture capitalist, I've been an investor in stocks, I've been an investor in small companies. And, you know, the problem with every single company is it's run by somebody and they can screw it up. (laughs) And and the kind of thing, what I kind of like about Bitcoin a lot is it's got this incredible asymmetric risk profile. You make a lot of multiples of your money. And, you know, there's no management team to screw it up. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. kind of sitting there every 10 minutes, another block comes out. The math is the math. The system is the system, you know, and I've now seen enough data that I'm comfortable with the technology risk. And so, you know, if, if I were advising somebody who wants to spend zero time analyzing stocks and picking names and have probably the best risk reward profile over a 10 to 20 year time frame, admittedly, with a lot of volatility in the middle, you know, I would just say go buy Bitcoin. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's simple. 
I mean, just well, buy that, Bitcoin and forget about it, you know? And that's a good, good point there because the math is the math. It's programmed right. in. You, you're right. not going to change it without consensus. And, you know, yeah. could that happen? Sure. Is it going to happen? Probably not. Um, right. But everything else is, is basically geared to one or a handful of people. Yeah. And then you've got human emotion, which we know generally well, at some point always goes sideways. That'll create the volatility. I mean, the only thing that would, I mean, the only thing that would really concern me about Bitcoin would be some, some fundamental technology flaw that I'm unaware of. And I don't, I don't see that happening very, mm-hmm. or being very likely as happening. The other thing I would be concerned me a little bit of, like, if suddenly it just got dull and, and, and new adoption slowed down, you know, if everybody just kind of said, well, this, you know, they moved on to something else. Um, I don't see that. I mean, I see kind of continual growth and adoption. Yeah. And, as, and that's, that's what I call dogs eating the food, right? So since the dogs are eating the food, the adoption's growing, you know, there's, there's a six, seven billion people on the planet. I don't know how many people are into Bitcoin, but it's a fraction of that. You know, it's, it's better and that's been shown and uh, that's why it's growing. And so it's a pretty simple thing. I mean, if, um, there's some charts in my last couple of quarterly reports you can get on my website that just kind of show adoption curve tipping points. And we kind of are about at the 10% by my estimate, about the 10% tipping point for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in broadband and cell phones and cars and just every new innovation, when you hit that 10% point, you know, then it really starts to spread. And so I could see in 10 years where literally most of the world owns Bitcoin, has some Bitcoin. You right. know? And, and of course, with a limited number of coins, that's not going to be occurring at these prices. And, right. and you're going to need that as because my estimation is that basically we're just seeing the financial rails rebuilt, just like we saw in World War between World War One and World War Two. I think that's right. That's and, exactly right. And yeah. it's just the new base layer. Yep. And so everybody's going to have to have some in some capacity. That's right. Um, you know, or most people will have some in some capacity. I, I think uh, that's absolutely right. And I think that, you know, people who don't realize that, I mean, it's where they say you, everybody pays the price for Bitcoin they deserve. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, it has that beautiful game theory aspect of it. The only defense against it is to buy it. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's going to get bigger and more valuable and you're going to be left behind. Mm-hmm. You know, And at so. this stage, I mean, you know, as we talked about, it's kind of the point of, of a lot of what we talked about. You know, you've got some uh, stuff going on with the leverage and kind of suppression of price, which could create some opportunity, more volatility. Uh, but going long one singular asset is probably not the best. No, no, it's not. And, 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 you know, look, again, this goes to what I've said to my clients. It's not a case if you've got to put all your money in Bitcoin, but it's a case of having zero is not optimal. I mean, the, the wrong allocation is zero. Right. I mean, this is an asset that could become worth one, 10, $100 million per coin, you know, and it's at 60 now or well, 40 something now, but whatever it is, you know, you can buy one for that price today. You know, you need to buy one, you need to buy mm-hmm. two, you need to buy whatever, whatever the percentage allocation you're comfortable with as a very asymmetric risk growth asset, that's what you should have in Bitcoin. And you should just forget about it and you should hodl it. I mean, the, the, the thing I think is the greatest tragedy of the whole thing is the way people get sold on it and they blow it up. I mean, I know, I know people who are actually buying it at 10 bucks or hundred bucks or 200 bucks or whatever. They made a ton of money and then they sold it mm. because they didn't really understand what they were buying. Or, you know, I bought a lot. I would, like you, we were discussing this. I bought a lot in 2017 at 17 grand, 18 grand, right? You know, only mm-hmm. to see it fall to 3,500. Well, I bought a ton more at 3,500. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, but, but think about those people who bought it at 17 because somebody at the Thanksgiving table said, you got to do this. You know, and then a couple of years later, it's like, oh, another mistake. And they blew it out. 
Yeah, they puked it out. Yeah, and and that's you see that time and time again with with stocks. If you so yeah. I mean, the, the, the point there that I make to people who are looking at buying it, and I give this speech to people who say, well, you paid 60 for it. I said, fine, you know, figure out what your allocation is going to be and dollar cost average it by one twelfth of it for the next year, whatever yeah. the price is. You know, if you're afraid of buying the top or, or make sure that if you do be, do a big plunk buy right now, that you've got some more behind that, that, you know, you'd be willing to allocate to it if it fell 50%. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. Um, well, I appreciate your time today, Lawrence. Uh, is there where can uh, individuals find you or follow up? Yeah, or... so there are two things. I mean, some people find it helpful to go to my website, which was EMA2, Edward Mark Alpha, the number two.com. I have a Bitcoin white paper under there under research, and all my quarterly letters with a lot of charts in them are there. So that might be helpful. And then the other thing is I'm kind of noisy, uh, probably too much. So at least my wife says on Twitter. <laughs> so just my name at Lawrence Lapart on Twitter. I mean, I, Look, I, I, ba- I, I basically very strongly believe in sound money. And I think that sound money is something that will make our world a better world. And so, you know, that's why I make the noise that I do, because I, I think that this is, a, this is a cause that will benefit humanity in the longer run if we all agree that, you know, having a fiat monetary system has not served us well, and that having a, a system that's more tied to sound money will be a much fairer and better system. So uh, that's, that's kind of why I'm on Twitter. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the great work you've done and and appreciate you coming on and uh, talking to us. So I appreciate it. And uh, I enjoyed talking to you as well. I mean, you've obviously got a background in the, in the space that's pretty interesting. So you get it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Okay. Thank you. Take care.